Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome. Um, this evening, we are going to have a paper from Guy Longworth, at, uh, who is at the University of Warwick. And he works mainly, if not completely entirely, I, anyway, mainly on philosophy of language. And accordingly, he's going to give a talk on sharing thoughts about oneself. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for uh, inviting me. Okay, so what I'm going to be talking about is um, a thing I call the shareability thesis that I'll come to in a moment. Um, I'm going to say something about that thesis, and it concerns uh, first-person thoughts, thoughts that one uh, would typically try and express through use of the first person, so expressions like I. So I might say, for example, that I'm tired, and thereby express a particular thought to the effect that I'm tired. The shareability thesis, uh, in a nutshell, is the thesis that when I do that, when I express a thought of that kind, it's possible for you to engage in your own thought, that very uh, item, that very thought. So it's possible for us to share uh, engagement with a particular I thought. Okay, so that's the shareability thesis. Then I'm going to consider uh, a particular argument, a basic kind of argument against the idea that such thoughts can be shared basic argument against the shareability thesis. And I'm going to consider an initial response uh, to that basic argument uh, based around the idea of uh, what I call dynamic senses, drawing on uh, some work of Gareth Evans. Uh, then I'll talk about a particular kind of objection to uh, the initial response, which I'll call the mirror objection. And then I'll consider in a bit more detail what I hope is a slightly better response uh, to the basic argument which involves appeal to what I'll call shared episodic capacities. Okay, so that's the agenda. Okay, so the shareability thesis is just the idea that uh, I thoughts, these thoughts that we try and express by use of the first person, are by nature shareable. So it's possible for them to be shared. That's not to say that it's easy uh, to share them or that they're invariably shared whenever two people communicate through use of the first person. The minimal idea is just that nothing about these thoughts makes it impossible for them to be shared. So here's a, a crude kind of case. I think uh, right now, as it turns out, that you are looking at me, and me there in my mouth expresses uh, a component of an I thought, a kind of I sense, uh, making reference back at me. So I think you're looking at me. Uh, you think something that you might express with uh, I'm looking at you. Uh, and the idea is that you thereby express a different kind of thought, uh, also a first-person thought, um, and that these, and then the shareability thesis is just the idea that it's possible that those two thoughts could be the very same. So the thought that I express uh, by saying uh, you're looking at me could be the very same thought that you'd express by uh, using the form of words I'm looking at you. So that's the kind of core shareability thesis. I'm not going to try and argue in favour of that thesis. I just want to do something defensive. So I want to consider a line of thought against that thesis uh, and indicate ways in which that uh, line of thought against the thesis uh, doesn't decide the issue. Okay, but I want to do that while retaining the idea that I thoughts are distinctive. Uh, and what I mean by that is a, is a kind of philosophical commonplace idea to the effect that there's something very special about one's engagement with one's own I thoughts. So the idea here is that I have a bunch of different ways of thinking about myself. For example, I could 
pompously think of myself as Guy Longworth, um, but I can also think of myself by use of the first person, uh, by thinking of myself as I or, or me. And then there's a, a, a difference between, for example, my thinking that Guy Longworth's train is here, uh, sitting at the station, for some reason I have this abstract thought that uh, Guy Longworth, wherever he is, such that his trains come into the station, that might do nothing to motivate me to leap up and get on the train, supposing that I've forgotten that I'm Guy Longworth, or at least it, there's an open question in my mind about whether uh, I am him. By contrast, if I think that my train is here, that's the kind of thought that will have an immediate impact on the kinds of things that I'm going to do. So if I realise that my train's here, that's going to immediately get me to jump up and try and get on the train in a way that merely thinking uh, about Guy Longworth's train needn't. So first-person thoughts of this kind have a kind of distinctive and immediate impact on one's thought and action, distinct from other kinds of thoughts one might have about oneself. Thoughts by name, thoughts of oneself as that person, say, as looking in the mirror. And I want to hold on to that. So one way of defending the shareability thesis would just be to argue that there's nothing special about I-thoughts. I-thoughts don't have any kind of distinctive role. They're just like, they're just the same kinds of thoughts as thoughts one might express by uh, talking about that person or talking about someone by name, thinking about someone by name. I want to retain the idea that I-thoughts are special, uh, but nonetheless try and uh, defend the idea that they can be shared. Related to the idea that I thoughts are special is the idea that they're uh, what I'll call Fregean. So they fit into a kind of psychology that I associate with the work of Gottlob Frege. Uh, and here the key idea is that thoughts uh, are subject to the following kind of principle of individuation. So the idea is that if you've got some individual A and they're rational at a particular time and that individual accepts some thought P, and rejects some thought Q at, at the same time as being rational, it will follow from that, uh, given their rationality, that the thoughts that they accept and the thought they reject are distinct. Okay? It's a minimal, fairly standard and core component of basic Fregean psychology. And it will more or less follow from that uh, that thoughts uh, and their individual components, their sen the senses that make them up, uh, thoughts can determine the same references uh, but can nonetheless differ. So you could have two thoughts that have the very same references, the very same component references, and yet differ by virtue of their being subject to this principle of individuation. So let's take an absolutely standard example. I might be rational right now, and I might uh, accept that Hesperus is shining brightly uh, while rejecting the thought that phosphorus is shining brightly, even though Hesperus is phosphorus, so the component references of those two thoughts are exactly the same. Given that I'm rational, and given that it's possible for me to accept one of these thoughts and reject the other, uh, it follows from this principle that they're distinct, even though they're made true uh, by exactly the same configuration of things in the world, by the same uh, planet being whatever way it is. Okay, so that's a third component of the shareability thesis. So the thesis says, uh, first-person thoughts are special, they're distinctive, they have a distinctive kind of role in one's thinking about oneself. Um, and they're subject to uh, this Fregean principle of individuation, but nonetheless, it's possible for them to be shared. I'm going to try and look at uh, a reason people have had for uh, denying 
the shareability claim so construed. Okay, so start moving towards the basic argument against uh, the shareability thesis. So a thought here is that we each have various capacities to think about things, uh, to think about things in a variety of ways. So um, we can think of those as, in a sense, capacities to grasp senses that go to make up uh, the thoughts that we grasp by being in a position through our capacities to think about particular things. And those capacities can differ in various ways. One way in particular is uh, through a distinction between what we can think of as standing capacities and more episodic capacities. So the idea here is that right now uh, I'm in a position uh, at will to think about Kasim. Just by uh, making use of my grasp on Kasim's name, I can just start thinking about Kasim by name and think various things about him. And think, for example, that he's a colleague of mine at Warwick. But, but I can also think about this individual, in fact Kasim, by virtue of a particular uh, contextual relation I'm into him, the fact that I can perceive him right now, stand in a particular kind of relation at this particular moment. And that puts me in a position to think about Kasim as that person, or that man. And those kinds of thoughts are quite different. So one kind of thought, the thing that I'm in a position to do by virtue of my grasp of Kasim's name, is something that puts me in a position to think about him wherever I am. So on the train on the way down uh, to London today, I was able to think about Kasim. I couldn't think about Kasim as that person at that time because I wasn't in the right kind of perceptual relation with him. So standing capacities are capacities that one can just make use of uh, in effect wherever one is, more or less, once one has them. Whereas episodic capacities are minimally more short-lived and more dependent on the particularities of the circumstance one's in that enable one to think those thoughts. So I have a capacity to think about Kasim as that man by virtue of this very uh, ephemeral and transitory perceptual relation that I'm into him. So there are standing capacities and there are episodic capacities and the capacities uh, that we're going to be interested in are uh, in effect episodic capacities of particular kinds. We can think about the difference between standing capacities and episodic capacities as in at least some cases making a difference to the kinds of thoughts that one would have on the basis of exercise of those capacities. So Suppose I know of Kasim by name, but I don't know what he looks like. And I might have reason to think that Kasim's at Warwick today, so I form the belief that Kasim's at Warwick today. Seeing this person here, in fact Kasim, but not being in a position to recognise him as such, I might think that person's in London, uh, and so not in Warwick. So I might believe that Kasim's in Warwick, and also believe that that person uh, is in London and so not in Warwick, even though that person is in fact Kasim. So the difference in capacities there seems to underwrite a difference in uh, my way of thinking about the indi individual involved. A difference we might think would correspond to a difference in the kinds of thoughts I thereby have, in the senses or modes of presentation under which I'd be thinking of Kasim. So general thought there is that differences in capacity might correspond to some extent with uh, differences in sense, differences in kind of thought. And then the, the case that we're especially interested in is a case involving uh, two kinds of broadly episodic capacities, uh, what I call I-capacities and U-capacities. 
So these are capacities that are associated with uh, the use of particular kinds of linguistic item, more or less. So the use of I and its analogues, first person expressions, and the use of U uh, and its analogues. And then the idea is that we might think that um, associated with the first person is a kind of capacity, a type of capacity that we each have, which is a capacity to think about ourselves in a distinctive way. So a capacity to think self-referentially about ourselves. Uh, and that kind of capacity is a capacity that we all have. Um, and in each of our cases, it does something slightly different. So my exercises of that capacity enable me to think about myself. And each of your exercises of that capacity enable you to think about yourselves. So one kind of capacity is this kind of self-referential I capacity. And then there's another kind of capacity, which is a you capacity, which is a capacity to think about others uh, in effect second personally. So if we uh, think of the association as tightly bound up with the uh, uh, use of English you, then we'll think of it as a kind of capacity to think of people who are facing us, uh, that we're talking to or engage, potentially engaged in conversation with, and it's a capacity to think about those people. Um, so it's a capacity that's episodic in a slightly stronger sense than the I-capacity. The I-capacity is a capacity we have to think about ourselves. And although it's episodic in the sense that it depends on a particular context, what precisely exercise of the capacity does, so that my use of the capacity does something different from your use of the capacity, it's also a little bit like a standing capacity in that, given that I have the capacity, I don't have to do anything special in order to get myself in a position to think about myself. So it's not like thinking about that person where I have to make sure I'm in the right kind of perceptual contact with that person. Um, because I'm identical with myself, that supports my ability to easily, at will, think about myself first personally through exploitation of my I capacity. U capacity is a bit more like uh, capacity to think of someone as that person. So it involves being in a kind of perceptual relation with a particular individual um, perhaps a special kind of perceptual relation, but minimally a kind of perceptual relation. And it's a kind of ge generic capacity we all have that doesn't on its own determine what it does on particular occasions of exercise. So right now I can use my you capacity to think about any of you individually. I can just go around the room thinking of you, 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 you. Uh, and what individual I pick out by the use of that capacity will depend on what kind of perceptual uh, relation I'm in with the relevant individual. So it differs from an I capacity in that use of this general capacity can pick out different individuals on different occasions, even given that the user is uh, one particular individual, namely me. And then the thought behind the basic argument against shareability is very crudely that um, Although I can think about myself through my use of an I capacity, you can't think about me through the use of your I capacity. And the difference between, the, so, so the only way uh, for you to think about me, say, is through use of a you capacity, or perhaps through use of my name, or perhaps through use of a that person style capacity. And then that difference in the capacities involved in my thinking about myself and your thinking about me, uh, the argument goes, is bound to make it so that the kinds of thoughts we have, the kinds of senses we engage thereby, the ways we think about me uh, through use of those different capacities are bound to differ. 
So there'll be no one thought that I grasp through use of my I capacity that you can also grasp through use of your U capacity. So in a little bit more detail, the idea is something like this. Um, there's a kind of principle, uh, which we're going to cast doubt on, but a kind of principle behind the argument uh, that's something like this. A pair of senses S and T differ if either first uh, that pair of uh, senses determine different references. So one of the senses is about me and another is about Kasim, say. That would be a way for the senses to differ because sense has to determine reference. Or uh, th that pair of senses are grasped on the basis of exercises of uh, relevantly different types of capacity. So there the idea is uh, that the I capacity and, say, the U capacity are relevantly different. So that difference will make for a difference in sense. And then the basic argument, uh, very shortly, is this. Uh, if two individuals, two distinct individuals, A and B, so uh, you and me, use the same eye capacity to grasp senses, so I use my eye capacity and you use your eye capacity, then those senses are bound to determine different references. My exercise of the capacity will determine reference to me. Your use of the capacity will determine reference to you. So if we use the same kind of capacity, reference is bound to differ. And then by the first disjunct of the principle about uh, difference of senses, the senses we thereby engage are bound to be different. So they differ in reference. Alternatively, if we both grasp senses that refer to me, so I use my eye capacity, say, to grasp that sense. If we both manage to refer to me, then we can't both do so on the back of our use of the very same capacity. I use my eye capacity, but you can't make reference to me through use of that capacity. So the capacities we exploit have to differ. Have to differ. And the idea is that that difference in uh, capacity is bound to make for a difference in the senses we thereby engage. Okay, that's the, that's the thought. So one way or another, uh, we're forced, when I use a, an eye capacity to think about myself, to differ in the kinds of senses we grasp. Okay, that's the thought behind the basic argument. So the minimal response here is that a basic argument assumes, in effect, that the difference between uh, thinking a thought through exercise of an eye capacity and thinking a thought through exercise of a U capacity uh, is, relevant, is a relevant difference when it comes to thinking about difference of sense. So it's bound to be the case that where one person thinks a thought on the basis of an I capacity and another thinks a thought on the basis of a U capacity, it's bound to be the case that the senses diverge. And that assumption is non-trivial in part because it assumes a kind of correlation between one way of individuating capacities and the senses that are engaged through uh, capacities so individuated. And there'll be other ways of individuating capacities where it's not so straightforward that there is a, a relevant difference of capacity here. So one way of individuating capacities would be through these kinds of thinking capacities would be through appeal to the individuals that their capacities to think about. So uh, my capacity to think about myself is in that respect relevantly similar to your capacity to think about me, even though from another perspective, mine's an I capacity, yours is a U capacity. So there's a question mark about the assumption guiding this argument, just because there are various different ways of divvying up 
uh, capacities. And it's non-trivial to figure out which way of divvying up capacities is, is going to correspond with um, relevant divvying up of senses. Now, an analogue of the required assumption arguably holds with respect to cases in which um, a pair of senses are grasped by a single individual at a, at a particular time on the basis of distinct exercises of distinct capacities, some pair of capacities C and D, and where C and D can be exercised um, in a suitable way independently. So the idea here is that if I have two ways of thinking about a particular individual, so I have two ways of thinking about um, Cassim, if those two ways are suitably independent, if the capacities uh, involved in those two ways of thinking uh, are suitably independent, then it'll be possible for me to think about Cassim using one of the capacities, think about Cassim using the other capacities, but because of the independence of the capacities, I'll be able to take different attitudes towards Cassim based on exercises of those two capacities. So again, I might think of Kasim through my name-using capacity. I think Kasim's in Warwick. Uh, and then I might think of Kasim through my uh, you capacity, think you're in London. And because those two capacities can function uh, in that kind of independence, it's possible for me to do that in such a way that my attitudes can be uh, conflicting with respect to how things are with Kasim in a way that will force us to think that the thoughts I thereby think are distinct based on the Fregean principles. So where we have that kind of structure, where the capacities underwriting the thinking are suitably independent uh, in the required way, then it'll look like the assumption's gonna hold. And difference in capacities of that kind will underpin difference in the kinds of senses or thoughts grasped on the basis of exercise of those capacities. But then it's non-trivial that that's the case with respect to all uh, all cases in which I think about myself using my I capacity and you think about me on the basis of, say, a U capacity. It's non-trivial that those exercises of capacity are um, suitably independent uh, so that we can use their independence to drive through uh, an application of the basic Fregean principle of sense individuation. So Evans, Gareth Evans uh, makes use of this kind of space between uh, ways of individuating capacities and claims about uh, sameness and distinctness of senses in order to um, give a particular kind of account of the way today thoughts and yesterday thoughts work. So Evans' idea is that although when one thinks of a day as today and when one thinks of a day as yesterday, one's making use of slightly different capacities to think about a day, in certain circumstances, uh, those slightly different capacities can be uh, capacities that put one in touch with the very same sense, the very same way of thinking about a day. So the idea is that if one retains a, a kind of cognitive fix on a day over time, uh, so starting off thinking about a day as today and then retaining a kind of fix on that day, together with, uh, as one moves into the, into the future, together with retaining a kind of sensitivity to one's changing relations to the day, so the temporal distance between where one is now and, and the day, uh, one can preserve grasp on uh, a particular sense that determines reference to that day. So one starts off thinking of today as today, using a today capacity, and as long as one keeps track 
of where one is with respect to the day, the fact that it was a day ago, as one moves into the next day, so long as one's thereby thinking of the day as yesterday in a way that's suitably sensitive to the fact that it is yesterday and the fact that it's the same day one was thinking of on the previous day, one can thereby preserve one's uh, grasp on the very same way of thinking of a day. That way of thinking of a day is a kind of continuum that one uh, keeps in mind through making certain kinds of required changes uh, that it, by virtue of one's sensitivity to one's changing relations to the day. So the same sense on this view is grasped at different times on the basis of uh, exercise of different but linked capacities, a today capacity on one day uh, and a yesterday capacity on the next day. And the idea here uh, in rough is that capacities are phases in a kind of extended episodic capacity, capacity that one has uh, just for the period of time over which one's keeping track of the day and keeping track of the relations one's standing in to that day, so how far in the past it was. So it'd be very easy to lose uh, one's grasp on this kind of sense, perhaps consistently with uh, retaining some other kind of ability to think about the day. So I might think about uh, today, both as today and as the 19th of November. Thinking about it as the 19th of November will enable me to think back on this uh, glorious day many years into the future. My ability to think uh, of the day as uh, in, in Evan's dynamic way will depend on my keeping track of precisely uh, how many days have passed between the time I'm thinking now and the time when I first thought of the day as today. So I can do it today, I think of it as today, tomorrow, so long as I realise that it was one day ago, I can think of the day as yesterday. And the connections between those thinkings will mean that I'm retaining grip on one way of thinking of the day on Evan's account. And that will differ in various ways from uh, thinking of the day as the 19th of November, which I might retain having lost my grip on how many days have passed, so probably in about three days. Okay, so, so the idea is that where we have this kind of structure, where we can uh, think of uh, keeping track of an item over time and being sensitive to one's changing relations to the item, there we might be able to have an idea of senses as the kinds of things that grasp of which require different things of one on uh, different occasions different points in the development of uh, the sense as a kind of continuum. Then the idea is that we might try and extend Evans' proposal in order to take in uh, a somewhat similar case, namely the case of I thinking about oneself and you thinking about me. So the idea of extending Evans' proposal would be that I capacities and you capacities might figure in analogues of the roles that today and yesterday capacities play in uh, Evans' account. The idea would be that just as one can keep track of a day and one's changing relations to the day through exercising slightly different capacities on different days, first a today capacity, then a yesterday capacity, when so long as those capacities are suitably linked together, that will count as keeping track of one sense. Similarly, we might try and say the same thing about uh, my I capacity to think about myself and your you capacity. 
Um, the idea would be something like this, that as long as your exercise of a U capacity is suitably connected, suitably interlinked with my use of my I capacity, then this might be a way for us as a pair to keep track of me, in a certain sense, to share an episodic capacity to think about me. So one way of trying to run the proposal, the simplest way, most straightforward extrapolation from Evan's account, would be to say that um, in the today and yesterday case, given the relations between thinking of a day as today and thinking of a day as yesterday, so long as those two ways of thinking, those two exercises of capacity, determine reference to the same day, then relevant connections between those types of capacity will make it so that they manage to uh, lock on to the very same sense over time. So a minimal extrapolation from that would be that wherever you're in a situation where someone's using an I capacity to think about themselves and you're using a U capacity to think about them, very same reference gets determined, you might think that would be enough to make it so that the very same thought is in play, the very same sense is in play. It's just a minimal extrapolation. It's obviously going to be subject to difficulties. But the minimal idea would be that that's all that's required. So I and U capacities can be suitably linked up just by uh, determining the same reference. And then the objection to that, and this is the objection I call the mirror objection, is, uh, the, is the following. This is one version of the objection. So you've got some individual, Lauben, who exercises his I capacity in order to uh, believe that he himself has been wounded. So he uses his capacity to think about himself in order to think this particular thought, I've been wounded. But then Lauben also catches sight of himself in the mirror and thinks that he's looking at some other individual, say Peter, happens to look a lot like Lauben, it's an easy mistake to make, doesn't realise he's looking in the mirror, um, thinks he's looking at Peter, uh, and exercises a U capacity in order to think about the individual that he sees, um, which is in fact himself. So he exercises his U capacity to think, um, you know, think, has a train of thought like the following, um, I'm the only person here who's been wounded, uh, so you haven't been wounded. It's a thought to that effect. It seems like that's uh, a possibility. Someone could make use of a U capacity, their own U capacity, in order to think a thought about themselves. Uh, and that thought would thereby determine the same reference as thought uh, a thought based on exercise of an I capacity. So you'd have this I capacity and U capacity determining a reference to the same individual, but it seems clear that in those kinds of special circumstances, the kind of circumstances involved in the mirror objection, it's possible for an individual to do that while taking conflicting attitudes to the thoughts they thereby grasp. So in this case, Laupin thinks, I've been wounded, thinks of himself, uh, you haven't been wounded, the conflict there, given the uh, natural assumption that Laubin's rational, means that the Frigaean principle of individuation applies, and we have grounds to think that those thoughts must be different, despite the fact that they both determine the same reference, and they're based on a pair of an I capacity and a U capacity. So that's an objection to the minimal extrapolation from Evans' account, the idea that it would be enough for uh, latching on to the very same thought that one made use of an I capacity and a U capacity in ways that managed to determine the same reference. Seems that that won't work. 
So what we need now, if we're going to push the issue forward, is additional conditions on exercises of I capacities and U capacities, if they're going to be suitably linked to sponsor shared grasp of the very same sense, the very same way of thinking of an individual. And the idea uh, that I want to try and press here is that what needs to be the case is, uh, with respect to the different exercises of these capacities, is that they make co-reference they determine, de facto co-reference that they determine, uh, in a sense transparent to the individuals exercising the relevant um, capacities. So the idea will be that um, what we need to do in order to stop the mirror objection from arising is to make it so that in order to meet the conditions to think someone else's I thought by the use of one's you capacity, you have to be so sensitive to the individual being picked out by the I capacity that it's transparent to you that your you thinking and their I thinking determine the same reference. And that's going to rule out the mirror objection by making it so um, that uh, in order to be suitably linked up, in order for Laugan's you thinking about himself to be suitably linked up with his I thinking, he'd have to realise that you and I had the same reference, and that will stop him from being in a position rationally to take conflicting attitudes towards the thoughts he thinks on the basis of those uh, exercises. But I want to creep up on that idea uh, a little bit more slowly. So I want to, in effect, go through uh, two intervening stages. The first stage is to think briefly about um, the idea that an individual on their own might think the very same thought over a period of time by virtue of suitably linked exercises of uh, a U capacity at times, at particular times throughout that period. And the second stage will be to think about uh, a case involving two individuals' uh, exercises of U capacity, trying to think of what it would take for their uh, uses of the U capacity to be suitably linked to underwrite grasp of the same sense over time. And that will lead on to the uh, trickiest step, which is the idea that that kind of connection, the required kind of connection might be in play even when one of the individuals is thinking a you thought about an individual and the other is thinking an I thought about themselves. Suitable kinds of links might hold even in that case. So Starting with intrapersonal dynamic youth thoughts. The idea here is that if what matters to retaining a fix on the very same sense over a period of time is kind of transparency of co-reference, the fact that, one's, it, that it's obvious to one or would be obvious to one on reflection that each part of one's thinking uh, is determining reference to the very same item. If that's what it, what's at issue, then it looks like where one's thinking of an individual over a period of time retaining a grasp of a particular way of thinking of uh, an individual. What's going to matter is that there's no question from their perspective but that they're keeping track of one individual over a period of time. So what we're interested in is a case where at some early time T0, we've got an individual thinking about the person as you. So they think, uh, you're looking well for example. And then uh, they keep track of the individual over a period of time until some later time, say T2, 
And because they've kept track of the individual over that time, there's no question for them but that the very same individual is the individual they've been thinking about throughout that period. And in those circumstances, it's at least plausible that the way they're thinking of the individual might be preserved throughout that period. It's not going to be the case that um, insofar as they retain an ability to think about the individual of that kind, they're going to be uh, subject to the Frigaean principle of individuation. They're not going to be such that they're going to change their attitudes about the individual they're thinking of. So if I think at time, uh, time zero, you're sitting, um, you're sitting now, then a bit later, so long as I keep track of you through the intervening period, I'm not going to think you weren't sitting, you've never been sitting, because I'll be thinking of you as the individual I've retained grip on, my, that my thinking's retained grip on throughout that period, and retaining awareness through memory that you were once sitting. There's no question, um, from my perspective, of you being switched with someone who was never sitting. So if you're sitting at one time, even if you're standing at some later time, because I've kept track on you as an individual, I'll be in a position to keep a grip on my thinking that you at least were sitting. And I won't be in a position where I bear conflicting <coughs> attitudes uh, to you of a sort that would run into trouble with the Fagan principle. So the idea here is that where one's thinking about an individual is linked by one's keeping, one's you thinking about an individual, one's thinking on the basis of a you capacity about an individual, is linked over time both by one's keeping track of the individual perceptually and by uh, underlying uh, systems of memory. In those cases, we can think of one's retaining uh, a kind of episodic you capacity over the period where one's memory is functioning, where one's keeping track of the particular individual, which will make it so that one is thinking the very same kind of thought about that individual over time. One's thinking of them in the very same way. And in those circumstances, that kind of uh, episodic capacity develops over a period um, will be a way for one to keep a grip on the very same thought, a uh, very same way of thinking of an individual over that time. So that's the intrapersonal case, the idea of one person thinking about an individual over time uh, by exercising their you capacity. And that could go on even though one's relations to the individual shift over that period of time. So they start moving around, as long as one keeps track of them and one keeps track of one's shifting relations to them, one will be in a position to carry on thinking of them as you and to think of them in the very same way, retaining bits of information about them and adding new bits of information into the mix, all the while as information concerning one particular individual. Okay, so that's the thought about the interpersonal case. And then the two cases to consider next are the interpersonal case, where it's not one person's thinking of an individual over time through use of their U capacity, but two people uh, both using U capacities, but in such a way as to make it transparent to both of them that they're using those capacities to think about the same individual. That's supposed to uh, do the work there. And then we're going to turn to the interpersonal, uh, the interpersonal case involving I and you, not just you and you. So at this point, when one's thinking about extending a proposal that might or might not seem plausible with respect to an individual's retention of 
capacity over a period. I want to extend that to thinking about kind of sharing of capacity over two individuals. One worry will be kind of gem general worry someone might have about the possibility, the very possibility of uh, the sharing of episodic capacities or the sharing of capacities in general between individuals. So if one thinks of one individual, uh, one, one individual exercising a U capacity at various times in such a way that those various phases add up to their retaining over a period of time a kind of capacity to think about an individual over that period of time. So a single capacity distributed over, um, over an extended period of time. If one's thinking that's the kind of requirement that has to be met in order to tell such a story about two individuals, then one might worry that it's not really possible for two individuals to participate in possession of a capacity in the required kind of way. So you might think that capacities are the kinds of things that individuals have, not the kinds of things that pairs or, or other pluralities of individuals have. I just want to um, sketch a kind of example that I think makes it at least plausible that there's no general bar on the sharing of capacity. Uh, and this is uh, an example of having the capacity to reach, uh, in this case, Jenna by car. So you might think that you've got two individuals who between them have a capacity to reach uh, Jenna by car because uh, one of them can drive and one of them can do the directions, even though neither of them possesses this capacity to get to Jenna by car on their own. It's only when you put them together and have their um, relations fixed so that they can exploit one another's capacities, uh, individual capacities in a particular way, that you reach a stage where um, the conglomerate made up of them, the plurality, the pair of individuals, is in a position to reach Jenna by car. So it's a kind of common experience of mine. I can drive, uh, but I'm terrible at directions. My partner, uh, well, she can drive now, but only just. Um, <laughs> but she's very, very good at directions. So between us, we're able to get various places by car. But if I was on my own, I'd be stumped. And I can drive perfectly well. I'd just drive around in circles. Uh, if she was on her own, she'd be fine. She'd know directions, okay, but she wouldn't be able to put those into action in driving. Uh, and the thought is that in these kinds of cases, where two individuals can become linked in a certain, in a certain kind of way, in this case through, for example, powers of communication, they can, that can put them in a position to participate in one another's individual capacities in such a way that the pair of them can have capacities that each of them individually lack. And then the thought with respect to uh, interpersonal sharing of thoughts will be that something similar could be the case with respect to individuals' capacities uh, to think about particular items. The idea here will be that in certain circumstances, those individual capacities to think about items could become linked together in a certain way so that each of their capacities can draw on the other's capacities in such a way as to, uh, for them jointly to possess uh, a capacity either that each of them lack or just to extend a capacity each of them has so that it's possessed by the pair. And here the idea, um, which I guess a bunch of people have had uh, in the literature, 
is that the kind of connection between exercises of individuals' new capacities to think about uh, a person that would underwrite kind of sharing of capacity that might make it so that these individuals could both be thinking in the same way about some other individual would be a kind of joint attention to the individual they're both thinking about. So the idea here is that where an individual makes use of their U capacity on an occasion in order to think about some particular individual, the mechanism that selects the individual picked out by exercise of the U capacity as the thing being thought about is something like perceptual attention. So what makes it so that my U thinking about one of you is about that person in particular is that that's the person that I'm attending to when I'm exercising the capacity. It's one of the things, the, the exercise of perceptual attention would be a subcapacity in particular episodic capacity to think about that particular individual rather than some other individual. So in the individual case, the mechanism of reference selection would be something like perceptual attention. And then instituting a, a case of sharing such that it would be transparent to participants in the sharing of reference thinking, a way of thinking about a particular individual. Um, kind of mechanism required there would be sensitivity to each of the other's uh, mechanisms of reference selection and sensitivity to the other's sensitivity to one's use of one's mechanism of reference selection. So if I'm thinking about a particular individual as you, and you want to think in the same way about the individual as me, you have to be sensitive to where my uh, attention is distributed. I have to be sensitive to where your attention is distributed, so we both have to realise that we're attending to the same individual. And then to keep things linked properly, I have to also be sensitive to your being sensitive to my uh, keeping track of that individual and you have to be sensitive to my keeping track of your sensitivity to that individual. The fact that we're not only both attending to the same individual, but we're attending to one another's distribution of attention in such a way as to keep one another on track, to make sure that over some period of time, we're both uh, consistently attending to the same individual, and that that's fixed for both of us and something that we're both aware of. And in circumstances like that, seems that there'll be no question uh, for either of us about whether we're uh, attending to the same individual and whether our youth, our youth thoughts are latching on to the very same individual. So again, there'll be no scope for um, causing trouble by use of the Fregean principle of individuation. I mean, we might differ between ourselves and our attitudes to what we're thereby thinking, so we could conflict individually. But there'll be no question about us getting in a position where... Um, where I guess I, I'm keeping track of your thoughts in two different ways. I'm keeping track of the reference of your thought in two different ways, so that um, in one way of keeping track of your thought, I think that that thing is, say, tall. I think the person you're thinking of is tall. And another way of keeping track of your thought, I think the person you're keeping track of isn't tall. Um, because I'll be keeping track throughout of our co-reference. So there'll be no question of these things coming apart. So that wasn't very clear. Um, okay, so, so the thought is that 
In cases where we're just both having new thoughts about some individual, and what we care about is making it so that it's transparent to both of us that we're thinking about the very same individual, what matters in that case is this kind of joint attention. So sensitivity to each of our distributions of perceptual attention and sensitivity to one another's sensitivity to that. And then the thought is that, well, there's an immediate problem there in extending this idea to the case where one person's thinking about themselves using their eye capacity and another person tries to think about them uh, using a U capacity because it's implausible to think that one's eye capacity thinking about oneself is based around perceptual attention to oneself or indeed any kind of, uh, any kind of straightforward attention to oneself. The mechanisms underwriting reference to self, uh, the mechanisms implicated in one's eye capacity to think about oneself, look far more straightforward than that uh, and not to go via uh, the kinds of vagaries of where one happens to be attending. It's not as if, for example, I can shift my attention, uh, my eye thinking attention from me to someone else just by shifting my attention to them. If I make use of my eye capacity to think of anything, it's going to be automatic one way or another. That if I think about anything, I'll be thinking about myself. And the way I've got it, so, so there's a worry here that because of that, we can't make appeal to the idea of joint um, attention to underwrite what connects up our different thinking about me when I think about myself in an I way and you think about me in a you way. So the idea will have to be that this case of connecting I thinking and you thinking is like uh, the interpersonal preservation of you thoughts, except it's not based solely on uh, attention. So, th so the idea at this point is to make appeal to a kind of generalisation of the idea of joint attention. So what mattered in the case of joint attention wasn't that it was attention that was involved, but that it was the mechanism of reference selection that was, was involved. That was what one had to be jointly sensitive to, what was determining the reference of the thinking. So the idea then would be that in the case of uh, shared I and you thinking, what will matter is that both parties to that sharing are suitably and jointly sensitive to each of their distinct ways of determining a reference. So the I person's thinking will need to be sensitive to the other person's distribution of attention because they'll be using a U, a, a U capacity to think about them. But the U capacity thinker won't have to be sensitive to uh, the I thinker's attention. They'll just have to be sensitive to the kind of uh, capacity that that individual is making use of in order to think about something. In this case, they'll have to be sensitive to the fact that it's an I capacity kind of capacity that will determine reference to that individual. And as long as they're sensitive to that um, and sensitive to the other's sensitivity to their own distribution of attention and the first person thinker, the eye capacity thinker, is sensitive to the other's uh, exploitation of you thinking, so it's transparent to both of them that they're thinking about the same individual, then again, it looks like we can make a plausible case for thinking that uh, they could be engaging the very same sense interpersonally. Okay, now that, that discussion of um, various mechanisms of uh, 
sharing senses, sharing engagement with particular senses or ways of thinking of individuals, was sparked off by uh, this mirror objection. So I need to say something about how it's supposed to help address that kind of objection to the idea that I-capacities and U-capacities might um, both be used to think the very same kind of thought. Uh, and the idea is that this could go in either of uh, two ways. So the joint sensitivity requirement means uh, that the mirror kind of case can't arise, either because one can't really think of oneself via a U-capacity in a way that's sensitive to one's own I-capacity thinking. So the idea here would be that there'd be a kind of weird alienation involved in, in, in trying to think about oneself as you in a way that was sensitive to one's own thinking about oneself as uh, an I. Be some kind of um, oddity in trying to have one's you thinking about an individual sensitive to one's own I thinking about oneself. It's not that one couldn't think about oneself as you. It's not even that one couldn't think of oneself as you while thinking about oneself as I, I suppose. It's more that there's a difficulty in doing uh, both these things at once in a way that's appropriately sensitive to the relevant required connections between the I thinking and the you thinking. So one kind of thought is that once one just can't have uh, the required kind of connection between I thinking and you thinking in a case where the very same individual is doing both the I thinking and the you thinking, be unable to uh, get the connection going. But the more decisive um, the more decisive response, I think, is that even if that's possible, even if it's possible for one to set things up so that one's own you thinking about oneself is suitably connected with one's own I thinking about oneself, the connection there will make it transparent to one that that's what's going on. So one will be aware that this piece of thinking, this you thinking, is uh, picking out the very same individual as this I thinking. And in that case, it won't be possible for one to rationally adopt conflicting attitudes to the two bits of thinking. Um, that's, the, that's the kind of critical part. Um, but there were kind of interesting issues about, about the first um, response. OK, so that's pretty much all I wanted to say uh, today. So just to recap, started with the shareability thesis, which was the idea that um, nothing about nothing in the nature of the kind of thoughts involved in thinking about oneself first personally and having I thoughts about oneself rules out the possibility of sharing those thoughts with other people. And I considered a very basic argument against the shareability thesis based on the different kinds of capacities that are bound to be involved in two individuals thinking about uh, an individual where one of those individuals is thinking about themselves through the use of an I capacity. Um, the initial response to that was to appeal to Evans' idea about dynamic senses to cast doubt on the idea that just because um, different capacities are involved in, in um, two bits of thinking, those bits of thinking must engage with different senses. Um, considered a, a kind of straightforward extension of Evans' idea to the IU case, uh, according to which all that matters is that I and you are in play and they both determine the same reference, um, and then considered an objection to that based on this kind of mirror case, a case where one thinks about oneself using a U capacity in a way where it's not obvious to one that that's what one's doing, that one is thinking about oneself. Uh, 
And on the back of that objection, I considered some more nuanced ways of thinking about the extension of uh, an Evans-style proposal to the IU case, based ultimately on the idea that uh, a kind of joint sensitivity to the different kinds of mechanisms of reference selection will have to be involved in understanding how it can be that two individuals can both be having the very same kind of thought about one of them, where that one is thinking about themselves as I. Okay, and that's it. Thank you very much.